In the name of God, the lover, the beloved, and the love sharer. Amen. It's every preacher's nightmare to have one of the most famous parables of Jesus to preach upon, because what more can be said? I spent a whole afternoon this last week trudging through the blog uh, commentaries on this parable, and uh, I came out without much inspiration. But I was thinking that this last week we have been uh, very focused on uh, the reporting of the Zimmerman trial in Florida. And it seems to me that while there are many different angles that can be taken up in this parable of the Good Samaritan, the one that seems to be the most problematic for us is the question about who is our neighbor. Jesus sidesteps the lawyer's question. And by lawyer, we're really talking not about a kind of lawyer as we understand them, but uh, someone who is an expert in the religious law. And so the, the lawyer says to Jesus, so tell me, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, he's He's been following the rules. So Jesus asks him. And the lawyer does some sidestepping of his own because he replies that he has been following all the commandments. And is there anything more that can be required of him? But it's interesting that somewhere in his mind, he was still in doubt that even following the rules to the letter doubt that maybe something more was being required of him. And so we've got two questions here. The first question is, who is my neighbor? It's a relatively simple question to answer. If we take the literal definition of the word neighbor, it simply means the one who comes near. Therefore, the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, simply is, everyone is my neighbor. And you may question this as an impossibility to live by. But that's the definition. Who is my neighbor? Everyone is my neighbor. The second question is, So what are my responsibilities to my neighbor? And this is really the more difficult one to answer. Because if everyone is my neighbor, the rub is, so what do I owe them? And what do they owe me? And understanding neighbor in this rather direct and literal sense, George Zimmerman became Trayvon Martin's neighbor the moment he came near to him. And such a reading is dramatically at odds with the assumptions that we make about neighbors in contemporary America. In our society, a better working definition of neighbor is not the one who comes near, but the one 
whom I fear, the one who seems to be afraid of me. And why is this? Do we really pose such a threat to one another? Is this a hangover from frontier culture where the stranger was automatically experienced as a threat until proven otherwise? Having lived for 30 years in the United Kingdom, I'm sometimes taken a little aback by the enthusiasm with which Americans shake my hand and smile into my face. In England, such behavior would be a direct indication of interest between the two people. Otherwise, the British tend to ignore one another. And I've learned that I can't assume in this cultural context that the person vigorously shaking my hand and smiling into my face with his perfect teeth is showing any particular interest in me. I say he because in my experience it's usually men that do this. And of course what I suspect is going on is this... uh, frontier cultural assumption of you have to make it clear that you are not a threat and you are hoping that by doing so the other person isn't a threat to you either. And yet the pioneer roots of American culture can't explain the degree with which we now fear one another in modern America. And listening to the gospel reading about the Good Samaritan one sympathizes with Jesus being interrogated by this lawyer. We are an overly litigious culture. And that both reflects and inflames an environment of mutual fear and suspicion between us. Now it seems to me that a better explanation to the situation we find ourselves in as neighbors to one another lies in the nature of modern society viewed from a particular perspective. In my former life, I was the director of a large chaplaincy program in the most famous teaching hospital in London, the kind of Johns Hopkins of the British world. And My job as chaplain was to be the pastor to the organizational structures and to facilitate organizational relationships. And one of the tools that I used to help me do that was this thing called spiral dynamics. Now, I'm not going to give you a a lecture on spiral dynamics, but On the Trinity Facebook site, uh, the sermon blog is posted, and there is a link to Spiral Dynamics, and you might be interested to follow that up. But basically, when applied to cultures, Spiral Dynamics helps us distinguish between different locations in a broad continuum of cultural development. And in each location the concept of who is my neighbor will differ. 
Now, to make this sort of complex system of analysis more user-friendly, uh, they ascribe colors to each of the cultural locations, which they call memes. And so we have the purple tribal cultural location. And in this context, who is my neighbor is easy to answer. It's everybody within the tribe. It's everybody to whom I am related to one way or another. The people who are not my neighbors are everybody else outside the tribe. They are automatically my enemies. We have the cultural location of described by the blue authoritarian hierarchical designation. These are quite large societies with complex social systems. Uh, but the question about who is my neighbor within a blue culture is, well, my neighbor is a member of my class or a member of my occupational group or a member of the same strata of location in society because the important question in a blue society is know your place. Not because you need to be ground down, but because knowing your place also limits your responsibility. We have the orange culture, described as the scientific entrepreneurial culture. Here, who is my neighbor? Are those other people who are like me, who are firm believers in scientific progress, and entrepreneurial wealth generation. We are an autonomous, self-sufficient group of people. The people who are not my neighbors are the people who are not entrepreneurial, not believers in scientific progress, not self-sufficient. And then we have the green culture. Now, the use of the term green here is it's got no ecological uh, con connotation, but it does connect in some ways. The green culture is egalitarian. It's communitarian. And it defines neighbor as everybody who shares the consensus on what is the common good. Now, it appears to be a very tolerant, uh, welcoming culture. But those of you who may have found yourselves on the sharp end of the liberal political agenda will know what I mean here. Because unless you share that particular view of what is the common good, you are not a neighbor. There are two further locations, yellow and turquoise, which indicate a, a potential direction for our society, but one that we have not really securely attained yet. So how does this work as we look around the society in which we live? Well, it, it's, it's easy to see that um, within our society we have different groups and different ways of looking at the world. Um, for instance, one might generally, as a generalization, say... Republicans tend to be blue in culture with maybe a strong orange tinge. 
On the other hand, Democrats tend to be green in culture, with perhaps an orange or a yellow tinge, depending on whether they're more in favor of entrepreneurialism or whether they're more in favor of the kind of interdependencies that we experience together. You could say that um, evangelical Christians tend to be either blue or definitely purple, quite tribal in some of their uh, associations. Roman Catholics tend to be blue but have very strong purple pockets and a kind of green fringe where liberal Catholicism tends to have more of a voice. And of course Episcopalians, well you can guess what we are, we're almost uniformly green. Now historically it's been easy for the concept of neighbor to have a kind of social consensus because historically societies tended to be very much located in one particular position or maybe two positions at most. But in our modern Western society, we have a whole multiplicity, a plurality of possible positions that are all coexisting uneasily alongside one another. And when a society displays this level of complexity, it's very difficult to arrive at a consensus of who is my neighbor. And I suspect that these competing concepts of neighbor lie at the heart of the violent altercation between George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, an altercation of violence that led to the tragic death of Martin. And amidst the overwhelming confusions between who is my neighbor and who is my foe in our global pluralistic society, Zimmerman seems to have relied upon a more primitive purple tribal classification. Zimmerman decided that Martin was not his neighbor, but his enemy. A conclusion reached probably through a complex process of classifying identifiers. Age, race, dress, the fact that he was on foot rather than driving a vehicle, etc., etc. This is a complex process that we all go through as we try in our day-to-day lives to assess who is our neighbor and who is not our neighbor. Jesus lived in a society which was structured around two broad cultural locations. There was the dominant culture of the blue Roman Empire, which imposed an authoritarian and a bureaucratic enforcement of hierarchy and stratification. 
but alongside this and very often in intense reaction to it, there coexisted the purple culture of Jewish tribal loyalties. And Jesus exploits the purple tribal construction of neighbor through this parable of the Good Samaritan. For those who were listening to Jesus, the idea that a Samaritan could share the same mental space as neighbor was inconceivable. The Samaritans were Jews, but they were half-bred Jews. They had intermarried in a previous time with local people. And so there's nothing like the members of the same tribe or family falling into an open hostility over the purity of who is and who isn't really a member. And so Jesus, he doesn't pick a Roman or a Greek or an Arab or any other nationality to depict the person who helps the man in the ditch. He deliberately picks the Samaritan, and he could not have intended to give more offense to his hearers if he had tried. Because Jesus is inviting the lawyer and the crowd listening, the eavesdropping crowd listening. He's inviting them into the kingdom of God. He's offering them two possibilities. Either that this restricted view, this tribal view of who is my neighbor, gets absolutely exploded to smithereens. That's one possibility. Or the other is that it is so shocking that it causes a kind of cognitive shutdown in the hearer. This conversation between Jesus and the lawyer is taking place within a larger social situation where people are listening in and trying to work out, ah, so how will Jesus get out of this question? rather like in the manner that we have been eavesdropping in on the proceedings of the Zimmerman trial. And Jesus invites the lawyer and those eavesdropping into a a cultural location that I didn't really describe to you. Well, it's described in Spirodynamics as the turquoise, turquoise location because Jesus is inviting them into the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there are no tribes. There are no nations. There is no class or race. There are only neighbors. In the kingdom of God, we are not concerned to discriminate against our neighbor on the basis of what it's going to cost us. That's the problem for the priest and the scribe. To go and aid the man in the ditch would have meant they would incur ritual impurity. 
And they could have gone and done something about that, but it would cause them a lot of hassle. And how many times do we say no to people that we encounter in social situations because it's just too much of a hassle? Because our attention is focused on what is it going to cost me if I extend the concept of neighbor to this person in front of me? The kingdom of God invites us to consider all who come near as neighbors. And the only consideration is, what will it cost the other person if I do not respond to them, if I reject them as my neighbor? Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the injured man lying in the ditch? The lawyer replied, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't say Samaritan, but he could say the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says to the lawyer, the answer to your question about how to to inherit eternal life is simply this. Go and do likewise. Amen.